Well, hello and welcome to the Bridge the Gap podcast. The train has just gone from behind me, so I think <laughs> we've got a window to do some chatting without any rumblings in the background. I'm here with Matthew Abound. Say hello, Matt. Good morning, David. <laughs> well, here we are. We're looking at Revelation 6. I personally am very happy that we're doing another deep dive on this because on Sunday I was on Zoom and everything was going wrong and I was sweating and I'm not sure how much I actually took in. So I'm quite glad <laughs> to get a second bite of this apple. Um, so Matt, maybe you can tell us, is there anything you would have liked to have gotten into a little bit more? Last week we said that you know, we honed down our sermons to make mm. them 25 minutes and Kay very encouragingly said to us, you know, make them 45 minutes, but <laughs> but no, is there anything that got left on the cut room floor that you would have liked to get into? Yeah, um, as always, especially with Revelation, I, I think probably this time around it would be the, the fifth seal. So talked a lot about the four, first four seals and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And it meant we didn't spend a lot of time thinking about the fifth seal before we jumped ahead to the day of judgment, the return of Jesus. And that fifth seal speaks of the souls of those who've been slain for their faith. And I I reckon it would be easy to miss the importance of this fifth seal when the four horsemen take up so much attention. And seal six, as I said, it's the day of judgment. So obviously that's going to take a lot of attention. But it, it's actually a crucial link, seal number five, between links uh, between seals one to four and seal six. Because it shows in part why this world is under judgment. Because it persecutes the church and it hates the gospel but also it explains that there is a deliberate delay on god's part between the tribulations of this age and the final judgment on the day of the the great wrath of the lamb so seal five is explaining um something of why there's a delay and why god is holding off and that's crucial yeah i can see why i can see why we didn't have time to get into that on sunday but it's helpful just to have that sort of why is all this mm. going on and the importance i mean ideally in each of these we'd want to do you know 20 minutes on each seal oh yeah just, i think you could easily just not not the way forward really if we want <laughs> people to stay on zoom yeah any longer <laughs> um well here's here's a question from um my future wife actually um she was asking in verses 10 11 we have the saints under the altar and mm. she said surely that is a bad place to be. And I have to agree with her because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to agree, isn't it? But <laughs> Yes, Dave. Yes. Um, why Why are they under the altar? Is that a bad place to be? What's the crack there? Mm. Well, f- funny thing is I, I was uh, reading this passage, bits of this passage with um, Kath and the kids um, last night and got similar sort of questions and feedback from them. You know, that that <laughs> just seems a bit a bit bleak and a bit strange what that's about. Um so yes, to our ears, it doesn't immediately sound does it like a great place to be squashed under an altar. A few things to say on it. First of all, in terms of background, because we didn't have time for this on Sunday, scholars debate which altar in the temple has been alluded to here. So there were two temple altars. Uh, they ask, is it the bronze altar for the burnt offerings that was in the courtyard of the temple? And if that's the case, it would have been a an altar which was a place of blood and sacrifice. Or... Is it the golden altar of incense that was actually in the temple itself, in the holy place? And that would have been a place of offering and of worship, but not sacrifice per se. So which altar is John seeing? And is there a particular altar in 
in mind it's hard to be sure to be honest and it, you're getting used to me saying this hmm. pretty much every week I know but in context it could be either and the thing is I don't think it matters hugely either way we're not meant to be sure I don't think which altar is in view here because it doesn't make any difference to the main idea <laughs> and the most important thing about the image so my first part of the answer is could be either it doesn't really matter too much either way but hey maybe someone finds that interesting I think that the big idea here is that these souls under the altar, whichever altar it is, these believers who have died and they're waiting for the second coming and they're waiting for their resurrection bodies, these souls are safe. They are in the heavenly temple, the place where God right now dwells in all his beauty and all his glory. So these these people weren't safe on earth. They died for their faith, but now they're safe. And the fact that they're crying out now how long doesn't mean they aren't happy they're there with the lord but it shows that they're waiting for they're expecting something even better they're wanting god to do justice because god is ultimately the one who's been wronged and they're longing for what lies ahead and that's what the four horsemen are signs of and that's what the the judgment of the four horsemen are pointing to this this glorious coming day when jesus comes back that the saints in heaven who are now safe are, are longing for Yes, because we might say how long in our context and that mm. for obvious reasons is sort of a, a longing yeah. to be with the Lord. But as you sort of said there that these saints are already with the Lord so they are yeah. safe and it is okay. So just we mm. need to sort of differentiate between mm. where they are and where we are when we say how long. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're not fed up. They're not moaning because these, these, are, these are saints who've got to heaven now. They're the, the saints of righteous men made perfect. They're not sin, sinful anymore. But it doesn't mean they've got it all yet. They're, they're longing there's something more so that they're happy, but they know there's um, an incompleteness to their salvation in one sense, and they're longing for Jesus to come back, and that that's what we're seeing there. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, although I didn't sound excited saying that, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> he looked excited. Yeah, I promise. Could you, could you give us a wee bit of a breakdown of verse 11? Let me read it to you. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Mm. So this is a bit of a two-parter question. So what does it mean by a little longer? Mm. And were, were killed just as they had been. So is there a separate place in heaven for martyrs? So... The two questions are... Yeah, good one. I like that bit. What is a little longer? Mm. And the second question is, is there a separate place in heaven mm. for martyrs? Yeah, right. Well, first of all, that phrase, a little longer, is... Comes up quite a lot, doesn't it? It does. Uh, and it it's relative, of course. Uh, from John's perspective and ours, that could be hundreds or thousands of years. But if a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, I'm sure the souls in heaven can enter into that that perspective. Yeah. The idea here is that the Lord is telling them, isn't he, to, to be patient. So even perfected saints in heaven have to be patient as they wait for the kingdom to come in all its fullness because there are others yet. This is one of the strange things about this passage. Basically saying, look, there are others yet to die for their faith, which seems quite morbid to us maybe. But again, the point is not that God enjoys his people dying for their faith although their their death is precious to him the point is that the timing of the plan isn't complete yet so when he's saying look wait for a little while longer he's saying look we're not there yet the the plan isn't complete 
there are more people yet to come to faith, some of whom will die for their faith. Mm. But he's reassuring his people in heaven and on earth that he hasn't forgotten justice, but he's also busy offering mercy. So to come to the other part of your question now, it is martyrs who've died for their faith mainly in view here, but the message is quite clearly for all God's suffering, sojourning, struggling people. Okay. So sort of like whenever you have a small child and you tell them, wait a little bit more, a little while longer, and then you'll get your dessert. And that just seems like an eternity <laughs> for them, even though it's only like, you know, 10 yeah, minutes. Brilliant. It's, it's sort of that. Yeah. A little while looks different in different people's eyes, yeah, doesn't I, it? I need you to get to. I need to just leave you to work on my sermon illustrations for me, Dave. That, <laughs> that would have been brilliant. But yes, ex- exactly. It's not um, that the parent is lovingly telling the child the truth, but but managing their expectations, and uh, that's kind of what the Lord is doing for these saints in heaven and for us, as He says, a little while. Okay. Okay. So, part two of the question: Is mm. there a special place in heaven for martyrs? To answer no, I don't think there's any reason to take that. <laughs> that from this passage that there's a special place for martyrs in heaven though i'm i'm sure as you look at the rest of the new testament and think about the issue of rewards for believers there probably is a special reward for someone who's Mm. died for their faith but just jumping ahead for a second to chapter seven that we'll be visiting in a few sundays time um the picture there will be of a great number from every nation together worshipping the lamb so i don't think there are separate bits in heaven for different types of christians different types of believers place for martyrs a place for non-martyrs um but the idea here the encouragement is that the death of those martyrs is not in vain they are now safe they are victorious they are now sinless Mm -hmm. and by the way both those ideas of victory and purity are uh, what, what the white robes there are about in that passage as well those white robes stand for victory and the fact that these saints in heaven are now pure. I suppose it's good to think about that because we can get into sort of a hierarchy even in heaven, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily helpful, which is, you know, you get into purgatory and all sorts of yeah. sticky territory. We should all go and be martyrs then mm-hmm. if, you know, there's special places in uh, heaven. And we're not given all the details. There's, there's quite clearly the idea of reward when we get to heaven, but jesus interestingly doesn't ever break that down for us and show us what that looks like and and also he says doesn't he the first will be last and the last first so <laughs> as soon as we start thinking oh that that person's going to have a particularly great reward in heaven well do you know what that, that's between that person and the lord the lord knows mm-hmm. and there's a sense in which we're going to be surprised when we get to glory okay the next question i have is about verses 12 and 14 so verse 12 and 14 I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun, t- sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from a fig tree. So <clears throat> I think my question here is if we see the sky turn black like sackcloth, if mm. we see in verse 14 the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, is that it? Will we definit? Is this an actual thing that will happen? Uh, Hard question. <laughs> see, this is where I'm going to sound like a real politician now, but it depends what you mean by actually. And you say, is this actually going to happen? What do you mean by actually? If you if you read Matthew 24 and Mark 13, those passages I mentioned on Sunday, where Jesus is talking to the disciples about the stuff that's going to happen during the church age and the signs of the end of the age as well, what you notice is that Jesus there uses similar 
picture language, similar imagery, which is drawn from the Old Testament in mm. Isaiah and Joel in particular, uh, as they prophesy the day of the Lord. And, and all that language is used to speak of the very end of time when Jesus comes back being a time of uh, sort of cosmic, physical upheaval. So when Jesus comes to usher in the new creation, the old groaning creation will be wrapped up, will cease to exist in the same way it does now. And and that's what the language is speaking of. So I think when we read that stuff, we are meant to think, yes, at the end of time, there is going to be this these physical changes, this physical upheaval as all of creation is affected and made new. Uh, for example, Peter says in, in 2 Peter, let me read some verses to you, um, 2 Peter 3 verse 7. The same word, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And then jumping ahead to verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and works that are done on it will be exposed. So clearly physical things are going to happen at the end of time. I think where we've got to be careful, which comes back to the phrase, is this actually going to happen, is that we don't take all these words in a... In a a woodenly literalistic way and expect the, the the moon to be a particular shade of red and to see the stars falling to earth um, in exactly the way that we might picture that the point is the big point is these things aren't just me metaphorical the creation is groaning and waiting to be renewed physically as well as spiritually when jesus returns but all as always in revelation we should be on guard against jumping straight to a literalistic interpretation expecting these images to necessarily be fulfilled literally as they appear here in john's vision the, the images stand for reality but we can't interpret apocalyptic literature in a, in a woodenly literal way he's, he's looking at me now listeners as if to say that was a long answer it was quite long but i think <laughs> i think it was good which is which is what matters good to know. Good to the, know. the word actually is always quite telling isn't it so whenever someone says that was actually a good mm. sermon mm. you're sure like oh gosh yeah. it's usually awful then if it's actually good yeah. so whenever i said actually i was being quite provocative but i think what what we drew out of all that is that jesus uses picture language because we mm. can't imagine what the end of the world would be like yeah, exactly. it's impossible to imagine yeah so he uses lots of visual imagery to get us familiar with the idea mm. that it's not it's going to be both and wonderful and terrifying which is what you said on yeah. sunday so in revelation always good to be careful not to jump straight to mm. literally one day we'll see yeah all these things but it's helpful to think about the old testament background and the metaphor that mm. john the original writers are trying to write from yeah. the text. and you can go too far the other way as is often the case with these things, isn't it? And say, well, it's all picture language, it's all metaphor, so we don't really know what it's talking about. Well, we do. It's cl quite clearly saying there are going to be physical manifestations at the end of time. But, yeah, yeah when you read there about creation uh, being rolled up like a scroll, well, how's how's that going to happen? You know, <laughs> ask a physicist, yeah. what, what's that going to look like? We, we don't know. And... John is being shown this imagery and he's writing this imagery down to try and picture for us the unpicturable, really, that mm. the creation will be rolled up like a scroll. But, yeah, let's not take the imagery too literally, but let's remember it does speak of reality. Mm. So any physicists out there, feel free to give you us, drop us a line. You can think of at least one we've got in church, so yeah. no pressure. <laughs> so next question is, 
did the seals get opened when Jesus rose from the dead? So is John seeing this order so that we understand a sequence of events? Because we know that mm. Jesus' resurrection was, you know, the breaking in, the beginning of the age to come. Mm. But what is the timeline here when we see these scroll or seals being opened? Well, first of all, there definitely is a link with the resurrection. I'm going to say in a moment that I think probably more emphasis on the ascension, actually. Though okay. it's, you can't obviously separate out the resurrection and the ascension too much. Uh, in terms of this, the sequence, though, I, it doesn't seem to be the case that we should expect seal one and then seal two a bit later on and then a bit later on seal three. It seems like all four horsemen, again with a Zechariah 6 background in mind, all four horsemen ride out through history more or less simultaneously which kind of makes sense doesn't it because conquest and war and death and famine tend to go together mm. not at different times in history but it is an interesting question to ask an important question to ask whether we're meant to think of these seals being initially burst open at a particular time mm. i think we can say when and i'm going to try and explain what i think in a, in a sec but <laughs> but again remembering what the main point should be the main point here is that it's happened wherever we locate it in history, this has happened because God's plan is being worked out in, in John's day and in our day. If I had to fix the start of these events at a particular time in redemption history, though, and commentators do disagree on this. I can't wait for your book, just to say. <laughs> oh, man, don't I know. I'm not even going to even think about trying to start writing all this down. Uh, if I had to fix the start of these events at a particular time in redemption history, if I had to say when Jesus was declared worthy as the lamb, chapter five, and took the scroll and opened it, I'd have to go for the ascension. So, yeah, possibly his resurrection, but more likely his ascension specifically, though it doesn't make a huge difference. The, the fact that there are allusions to Daniel seven in chapter five of Revelation, I think, is a huge help. Uh, because although the Daniel seven language is used by Jesus to speak of his second coming, seems obvious to me that both Revelation 5 and Daniel 7 speak of the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Lamb, coming victorious into the presence of God to receive authority to bring the fullness of God's kingdom. Uh, and the logical time to think of that happening, I think, is at his ascension, at his enthronement, if you like. Because, think about it this way, are we, are we meant to think of Jesus being in heaven this morning, waiting to return, but not having received his enthronement, his investiture as king yet. The the investiture that's pictured in Daniel 7 and Revelation 5. Does it, does it make sense to think of him waiting to be acknowledged as the lamb who is worthy to open the seals? There's not much comfort in that. No, I, I don't think so. And you know, with respect to commentators who take different views on this or oh, think sorry, that this sorry. is future yet, <laughs> because there are some of them. Um, so some of them think this this is what happens right before the end. I don't think it makes sense. Does it make sense to say that God is working out his plan, but the lamb hasn't been authority to do his part yet? Well, no, I don't think it does. The lamb is already working out God's kingdom plan. And the logical place to locate this when he was given authority to open the scroll and to work it out, I think is historically at his ascension. Because he did go to his father's side, going back to what you said, Dave, at his resurrection, of course, that's true. So you could locate it there, but his ascension is... is when he is pictured as publicly ascending to his father's side and being enthroned as the risen, glorified God-man of Daniel chapter 7. So, short version, yeah, I think we can locate chapter 5 of Revelation and these seals being opened 
as starting with Jesus' ascension. Okay, so why does this matter on people's <laughs> Wednesday commute? Yeah. yeah, you always put me on the spot on asking that one, Dave, and it's, re- it's really good that you do. Um, I think to try and sum up everything we've talked about, really, very briefly, and why it matters on the Wednesday commute, I think the answer is this. Your lamb, Jesus, has already been crowned king of the universe. He's already won the victory over sin and death and suffering. To to use a, an image that's been used quite a few times to describe this, D-Day has happened. V-E day, victory day, is yet to come, mm. but it's definitely coming because D-Day has happened and that initial victory has been won. The devil is is done and we only wait now for the victory to be finalised on victory day when Jesus comes back. So what this means for us is those who die in the Lord are safe. They are sheltered under the altar in the heavenly temple and believers are secure and the best is yet to be. That's what I keep thinking as I'm reading through Revelation. If life if life is hard right now for someone listening to this on their Wednesday commute, this is only, to use the phrase in this passage, for a little while. If Christians listening to this they can say life is wonderful right now well praise the lord for that but that's nothing compared to how wonderful your future will be these passages are meant to be whetting our appetite for what comes at the end of revelation the picture of life eternal in the new creation and for the christian the best is always yet to be and that that's what revelation 5 and 6 and the rest of revelation are saying to us i think on our wednesday commute can i can i throw in my two cents go for it you're going to anyway. I love the fact you asked quietly. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I asked. <laughs> I just heard my real laugh, which is a bit embarrassing. <laughs> um, I think it's quite helpful to think about this lamb being crowned king of the universe because it gives evangelistic fuel for a fire. Yeah. Because if the mm. best is yet to come, people who don't yet know Christ, this is the best it's going to be, which is awful mm. and tragic, mm. and that should drive us to our knees to fill up the stuff we looked at in revelation 5 the incense Mm. around the throne with the prayers of the saints because if if something so so much better is coming for us Mm. why are we holding back and letting people know about something so good Uh, definitely The, the thing we've got to always be doing is we've said it before when you look at the passage and you understand the passage in context Mm. of revelation but you've always got to have the the Bible and New Testament wide angle lens as well. Mm. So as you were saying that, I'm thinking of Matthew 28, where Jesus gives the great commission to the disciples. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Revelation 5. Therefore, go and make disciples. You can't separate this stuff from evangelism. So although you don't get passages in Revelation saying, right, believers, go and share this with the unbelievers around you, the clear implication in New Testament context is, like you say, this should be fuel for our evangelism and give us real joy and boldness yeah absolutely right yeah definitely i think that if you reread revelation 6 or listen back to the sermon or this podcast i suppose the thing you're always thinking of is in light of who jesus or god has revealed himself to be in this passage how might it affect the way i live mm. so if the lamb is crowned king of the universe mm. and that much much better things are to come yeah how does that change today yeah. like don't leave it up to us to do mm. the application think about it pray about yourselves share it with life group your mm. yeah. prayer triplet crack mm. on because mm. you know you know your life better than us 
Yeah. And if it's true that the the best is yet to be, then that that gives us a freedom, doesn't it? If we really believe that, it kind of liberates us to to be more bold when we're living in light of the fact that whatever happens now, that this future glory can't be taken away. Yeah. And it, just thinking about that, you know, if we are feeling scared or nervous about sharing our faith, we need other Christians in our lives saying, the best is yet to come. Yeah. So even the worst thing that can happen in this life, only, you know, death, only hurries us to this throne room. Yeah. So in some ways, the best is yet to come. So be brave, be mm. bold, because your lamb wins and God's in control, even of the rejection you might suffer, yeah. which is wonderfully encouraging. Yep, absolutely. No, I'm, gl- I'm glad you checked in your two penny with at the end there, Dave. <laughs> oh, <laughs> We're we're gonna end twice on like my thoughts, which I'm not <laughs> I'm not buzzing about. Um so this week what is happening? We are please continue to pray for the Advent stuff we're preparing. Mm. Please be praying for maybe just go for a prayer walk in Pompranae around the areas that we're going to be doing our letter drop mm. out reaching out into our community because we want this gospel to go out because better things are to come. So perhaps mm. a response to this podcast would be to pray about some of the things that matt's been talking about and pray in light of the fact that the gospel is going to go out and pray that it does not well the word never returns to god empty Mm. but pray that it would be full that the harvest would be plentiful and we workers would be willing to go out so shall we end on that on that bombshell yeah see you guys next week see you soon bye bye